you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to this week's episode. Well, hi, guys. I have something very special for you. I am starting a new segment called The Pediatrician's Perspective, where I sit down with Dr. Sarah Miller. She's the doctor that I'm writing the book with the current book that I've been sort of talking about here and there. And Sarah and I just thought it would be a good idea to bring what we talk about in private to the podcast airwaves and just share our conversation with you. It was totally unscripted. I had a topic that I knew I wanted to talk about with her and I just saved it. I said to her, I said, you know, I know you like a heads up on things because she's wired very differently than me. That's why we make a good team writing this book. I'm big picture. She's more of a detailed person. She's a scientist, right? Like it's, I was like, yeah, of course you became a doctor. You're a scientist. So she's super detail oriented. She's very type A where I'm not. And so I said, so this is going to be our topic today because I think it's going to, it can be a juicy one. And we're just going to talk. We're just going to have one of our normal conversations and let the listeners be a fly on the wall of that conversation. Because that's one of the things that I have found. I have actually a decent number of female physicians who take my program. And so I've really gotten to know a lot of female doctors over the last, I don't know, probably five years. And they are some of my favorite, favorite clients because female doctors, they don't mess around. Like they, they take a lot of action. They don't have time. They don't have time to mess around. They're tough. They're super coachable. You can level with them. They've been in a lot of times a very masculine environment, like going through medical school and residency and sort of that just like kick your ass experience, frankly, traumatizing experience. And so they just are, they're just ready to dig in and, and, and get results. So I love female physicians. And what I've noticed is, is that when we're talking and we're really talking like I hear a whole different side of things. Like whenever I've gone into a doctor's office as a patient, there's, you know, they're wearing their professional hat and there's just, I, I, I always feel like I, I'm like, I wonder what they really think. I wonder if I, they would really level with me. And so that's really my goal here is like, 
I want to bring a conversation to you guys and, and, and let you know, like what this particular doctor is really thinking and what she's talking about with her colleagues and what her opinion on, you know, different labels and diagnoses. And and I don't know, I just felt like it would be a good chance to sort of see what maybe not your doctor, but a doctor is really thinking. And, and our, our hope is that you guys are going to write in or call in and leave us messages so that we can start to make this segment a Q and a segment where it's like a, what's the pediatrician's perspective on this? And, and Sarah and I will, will have conversations based on your questions and what you guys actually want to know. So that is what I'm hoping this segment turns into. And if it doesn't turn into that, Sarah and I could talk for years. <laughs> we have so much that we always have to talk about and they're all, it's always kid related. We're both super passionate about children and families and helping people get along better and feel more peaceful in their bodies and just live healthier lives. So here's the first segment of the pediatrician's perspective with Sarah Miller. And I hope you guys like it. Can't wait to hear from you. Okay, so let's talk about labels. All right. I want to like get the lowdown. You know, when you go into your doctor and you're worried about your kid and you're really looking for either maybe reassurance that they're normal, they're okay, they're fine, or you're looking for, yeah, there must be something to figure out here and something wrong because it certainly has nothing to do with your parenting or the way that you're doing things at home. So I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it, I guess is my point, but I think it's complicated and it's loaded. And the bottom line is, is that a lot of people are finding out that their kids have certain labels, you know, are being diagnosed with ADHD or on the spectrum or just you know, different the OD the ODD one. I can't even like that one. Just pisses me off. It is the. Uh, let me just say this: Is ODD a doctor's way of saying I have no fucking clue? Well, it is a real diagnosis, but I think it's thrown around by physicians, especially uh, pediatricians, as opposed to psychiatrists. Yeah, as kind of a catch-all. I think you're right. Parents come in to the office with concerns and are, are looking for a label. Uh, you know, they think that's the answer to solving the problem is getting the label because then they have a name for it. But then what do you do with that? That that's not an answer to anything. It's just what a label. So I think the parents want one and then the physicians feel like they're helping if they give a label. Mm-hmm. That visit has been productive in some way. And so ODD will be thrown out as kind of a catch-all or ADHD or anxiety or autism spectrum. Um, some of those other ones aren't thrown out quite as readily, but I do think ODD can be. Um, and in some ways, and there's different, I think, motivations for wanting those labels. 
consciously and and subconsciously by the families. Um, but I think a, the root of a lot of that is they don't know what to do or where to turn. And so they just seek out a label to start. You know, I, I it also might be like, you know, when people are like, I have tried everything. I can't, you know, just to compare to something for adults. Oh, I know I should work out and I know I should do all these things. And I just can't motivate myself, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody's like, oh my gosh, I have the answer, intermittent fasting, (laughs) or I have the answer, just, you know, take this supplement and it'll, or take this pre-workout thing and it'll give you the kick. And I think it can be, it's like, I'm susceptible to doing that. I'm like starting to go through menopause and I just got turned on to this lady who's like talking about all of the benefits of fasting and all the different things. And now all of a sudden I'm going down the rabbit hole learning all about, and then she starts talking about all these supplements and getting hydrogen water. And I'm about to order all of it, right? So I just want to call myself out that I also love a quick fix. And so I think it sounds crazy to think that somebody kind of hunting for a label might be a quick fix. And I think sometimes it is because it's like, okay, if I have this label, then I'll be able to find out what you do exactly once your child has this label to solve the problem, to help them be better. So I think it's loaded and I think it's complicated. And I'm not anti-labels. I frankly think that anytime my kids have received a label or I've received sort of a label, I do feel like it helps me to arm myself with knowledge about the thing. And it seems like when it comes to labels, I mean, I've just seen this so much with the parents I've worked with over the years, and they all kind of come to this conclusion is like, oh, my kid can't do those morning tasks on their own, or they can't do their homework, or they can't because they've got ADHD, or they've got executive functioning issues. And so they sort of like, don't hold them accountable and help them build the skills because it's like, now they have this label and it's it's like a reason why they're not capable of doing it. And then the child doesn't learn those skills. Mm-hmm. I agree. It can't, a label shouldn't be an excuse to not still expect more from your child. Because I think the labels, I agree, more knowledge, the better, more understanding of your child, the better arming yourself with knowledge. I'm not anti-label either, but it is just what you do with that label and thinking of it, not even as a, a label, like that's not, doesn't define the child, but it can help you see what their strengths and weaknesses are. So then you work on their weaknesses, build them, you encourage their strengths, you know, maybe someone with ADHD um, has trouble transitioning, but they have incredible focus and there's, you know, there's certain interests. And so you can use it as a skill building tool in your set of tools for your child, but not as a label. And then that's where it ends, or that's where instead of a label closing doors, it opens, it could open up more opportunities for you to help your child. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I would say, you know, and I and I kind of would like to kind of zero in on what that looks like in real life because I think so many people who maybe they have gotten the label and you've even said this to me, like where we sort of fall short in the current system. You go to the doctor and then you come out maybe and your child has received some form of a diagnosis or some form of, you know, now they've been labeled in some way, which is meant to arm you with knowledge on how to help them. And then what happened, like what's next? You got, you got the label, you got the diagnosis and now what? Right. And many times there's not a now what, and that's where it falls short, which is why I don't like to start with the label because then sometimes that's the end of the conversation. And when parents first come into my office with concerns, I talk more about that child, what the concerns are, what they're worried about, and start with offering resources. And maybe we, maybe a diagnosis gets placed down the road or we put some more referrals in place so that some evaluations could take place down the road, but that's not step one. That's not most of the time what's going to lead to to change and success. The label is very secondary. And I, I like taking the priority off of that for parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I see it in a lot of these strong will, like the public strong willed kids groups on Facebook, where a lot of people are talking about, well, my kid has this, this, and this. And you know, they're on this kind of medication and they've got an IEP at school and, Mm -hmm. but they're pulling their hair out, you know, all the time after school. And they're, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of friction in the household and what happens to the child that, and any of us who've ever gone down the medication route, like what happens to the child after they've been medicated all day when you receive them home? Like not very many people are talking about how ugly that can look and how stressful it can be. Absolutely. And exactly whether a child, if the child is medicated, those aren't 24 seven medications. And so there are big chunks of the day when they're unmedicated. It's also not the goal to be on medication your entire life. And Mm -hmm. so the goal is to build those qualities that would allow you, if you can carry a diagnosis, to not need medications in adolescence and adulthood. And medications alone are never the answer anyway. I don't think that's being talked about. I think medication being, you know, if you choose to go the medication route, like looking at it from a, a viewpoint of this is a bridge to what we want to do. And this was explained to me. I remember I had so, I had so much like just shame about when one of my children, my oldest child, when I was taking him to all these professionals and then he was diagnosed with ADHD with a side of anxiety, whatever that means. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like inattentive ADHD blah, blah, blah. Cause he wasn't hyper at all. And so I put him on the medication and in my gut, I felt like I was looking for solutions. And because all these, you know, professionals that were way smarter than me 
were saying, this is what you do for this diagnosis. So I trusted that. And I also knew inside that this was not a long-term solution. Like there were some pros on the medication, but there were also a lot of cons. I felt like it was a constant management. I had trouble getting him to eat. And I remember talking with Dr. Bailey from Conscious Discipline. I went to one of her conferences way back when, and I went up and I told her, and I said, you know, I really struggle with this. And she looked at me and she said, medication can be a bridge. It can be a bridge. It's like almost like if you want to imagine you've got a child on the bench of life and you just want to get them on the playing field because they're never going to learn the skills to become a better player unless they're actually on the field. And that that metaphor helped me so much. And she said, and once you get them on the field, maybe the medication is going to get them off the bench and onto the field. Once they're on the field, well, then you got to make the most of the playing time on the field. And that's when you teach them all these amazing skills so that you can then wean them off of the medication and they have the skills to be able to work with the way they are wired and designed to, you know, do the things they need to get done. And I was like, that's so helpful. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy. So helpful. I think it opens up the toolbox, like I said, to using different elements to help your child, including medicine as, as something that can be a part of that toolbox. I think in that way, it allows the child and the parents to get some wins, break out of a cycle they may be in, and then be able to start building up those skills. Yeah. But it, yeah. It's, it's not the, the answer. And I think where we fall short is when we don't have a discussion about, you know, the long-term game plan here. And parents, it's almost universally, without more resources, the medication, it doesn't work. They, they have to try multiple things and go up on doses and they feel even more lost than when they started. Right. It was like, okay, now we have to add a cocktail. Oh, most of my patients are on a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at what point do we stop adding to the cocktail and start taking away? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll tell you for my son, the thing that helped the most was he had a teacher in sixth grade who was an old school teacher and she was very, she was very strict and she was very tough and all the thing. I was really nervous. Like, was she going to be empathetic enough? Was she going to understand him? Was she going to see him? Meanwhile, she's like, a freaking godsend. And he was in the same class all day long in sixth grade because he kind of went to this old school middle school. And I talked to her and I was just kind of explaining, you know, I was his big advocate and, you know, this is how he's, you know, he might seem quiet, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she, and we had just had him off the medicine all summer and it had been heavenly. He ate, he was, seemed more alive. I saw the light back in his eyes, all the things. Mm-hmm. I know for some people, the medicine brings the light back in their kid's eyes. This was not the case for my son. Mm-hmm. It was like, I saw just a dullness and, and I didn't know what else to do. And so this teacher, I, she said, well, you don't need to give him medicine to put him over here with me in my class. 
And I was like, I know, but what if he's not able to concentrate? And I know you're, you know, your work is rigorous and I don't want him to be a problem in any way. She's like, he won't be a problem in any way. She goes, we move our desks. Like I move the kids around every single week. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep him in the same position, just right at the desk in front of me. So he knows he's got my support and I'll just help him. And I was like, I know, but you've got a whole classroom full of kids. Like, how realistic is that? She's like, I've been doing this a long time. Thank you for your concern. I got it. And that teacher, I'll name her right now, Miss Sue Ann DeBusk, amazing woman. Whenever we ro- whenever we run into her, she's not, she's a grandma and she's retired now. Whenever we run into her, I like give her a little bow down. You changed our lives. You changed our lives. You changed our lives. What Mm -hmm. she taught him that year was time management and she held him accountable and she was a total pack leader. She let all the children know exactly what she expected. She wasn't a lunatic. She wasn't a shamer. She just laid it out. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. Guess what? Your English is in the white folder. This is where your dividers go. This is where this goes. This is where that goes. Like she just, she calmed his nervous system because she was so clear in her direction. And he used her method for how to organize himself. And he learned all these amazing executive function skills and uh, by, by her systems, he used her systems throughout college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that those were behavioral strategies. Those were organizational strategies. And I think he started sixth grade and for three weeks he was back on the medicine. And then after this conversation, I took him off and he didn't go back on that stimulant ever again. It's amazing when you have a teacher whose goal really is to skill build and not just nip a behavior in the bud. You know, like when something's the kid is being disruptive, and the you, I've experienced this too. And the parent feels all this pressure to, you know, figure out what the consequence is going to be at school or at home. How we're going to stop this behavior? Stop this behavior, as opposed to understanding the root of it, skill building, and teaching them. When my son was in pre-K, he was hitting other kids, and you know, in a tri- we were in a really special school as well with incredible teachers and this particular teacher also we will never forget and I was a first-time mom so of course I'm humiliated what do we do um what do I need to do and she's like no he just doesn't know she watched him she figured out what was going on and said he just doesn't know how to say hi we just need to teach him how to say hello. And she gave him a few options. Like you can wave or you can tap her on the shoulder or you can shake hands and the behavior stopped. And I think in so many settings, instead of that, it would have been you need to pick your child up, kick that, go to a new preschool. I mean, all to at the extremes, we, I've heard it all. And one teacher who just whose goal was actual skill building, could just change everything. See, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's kind of like, um, it's like, slow down. Mm-hmm. Let me just observe the child. Oh, mm-hmm. we need to be more clear in 
teaching him how to say hello when he's trying to get someone's attention. Because mm-hmm. what do little kids learn? They learn that they there's a lot of bang for their buck when they do something wrong. All of a sudden, they get lots of attention. All eyes are on them. And even though we're thinking, well, they don't like that. And in some weird way, it's, you know, think about it. Like, what's the worst feeling to us in the world? It's like when you feel invisible, you know, we walk into a room. What do we all do when we're walking into a room that we're not sure about, you know, a luncheon or a, even a, even a party that you've been invited, you're immediately scanning the room for the people you know, so you can go and you don't have to just like walk all alone and feel sort of invisible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you're looking for a way to fit in. And I think that it's normal. And what if he just needed a little guidance on how to be seen and connect with another person, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. And, mm-hmm. and what we know is kids 12 and under, they actually don't learn new skills through negative reinforcement. So when we're picking the kid up and slapping a consequence on them immediately before getting curious, getting to the root and then doing what that amazing teacher did, which is, oh, he just needs to learn how to say hi. So here's what you can do, bud. You can tap them here. You can wave, whichever works for you. And then the person will see you, you know, and then when they look at you, you can look at them back and you can just say, hi, how was your night? How was your day? How is your day going? Right. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm super excited to tell you about something new that I'm doing called the weekend warm up. It's going to be on the third Friday of every month, and I'm going to coach you live. I created this because I know a lot of you guys feel like you know me, but I want to know you too. So you're going to come, you're going to get on Zoom with me, I'm going to coach you, and we're going to get you warmed up for your weekend. What do I mean by that? We're going to hunt, gather, parent our weekends together. If you don't know what Hunt Gather Parent, I've turned it into a verb just so y'all know. Hunt Gather Parent is a book that came out not long ago. I've had the author on the podcast. I make it required reading for anyone that comes and works with me. And it's just about the fact that many of us, especially those of us who come and listen to things like this, our weekends are just filled with too many kid activities and there's no adult time. You know, maybe you're going from birthday parties to just nonstop, nonstop fun, nonstop memories, and you're finding yourself depleted and exhausted, maybe even more so on Sunday night than you were on Friday. And it's just not supposed to be that way. So we're going to hunt, gather, parent our weekends together. I'm going to coach you live. I'm so excited to meet you guys. And I want you to sign up. It's free. I'm offering it for free. So just go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash weekend, mastermindparenting.com forward slash weekend. Sign up, sign up. Social skills don't come naturally to everyone. Exactly. And what if it, it just became part of the equation? And I think this makes me feel like it's like um, one of the moms in the mastermind She's so smart and she's a nurse practitioner. And she was saying that we were talking about one of the moms in our mastermind taking her son to be evaluated because he's having a lot of explosive meltdowns. And we're 
we're puzzle cracking right now. Like she's set up what the expectations are at home. She's been pretty, pretty consistent. And this child is still walking around in a very dysregulated state. And so there's something to figure out and we're trying to figure out what it is. I actually think it's going to turn out that it's more about her pack leadership, which is that I think she becomes so kind of scared and stalled out when he starts to go into that explosive place. It feels so unsafe in her body, really from childhood trauma where she grew up in an unsafe environment emotionally and you know had an alcoholic parent. And so her body has a visceral reaction when her child starts to behave like this. So she kind of goes into either the freeze state or the fawn state. You know, the fawn state is this fourth survival state that has just sort of come on the scene or come on my my radar pretty recently, which is people pleasing. So when he goes into the dictator controlling mode, because she knows it's about to be meltdown time. And so she tries to ward off the meltdown where he's like, close the garage. When I say to close the garage, I wanted to push the button, you know? I can't tie my shoes. Help me tie my shoes. Not like that. Time over here. It's like he's constantly upping. And she's like, okay, bud, let me just do this. So she goes into that fawn state or she just kind of freezes and doesn't know what to do. And I think that's her trauma response. And so I said, I, so I'm like, I, I have a feeling this is a part, which means that we've got to get you the healing that you need you know, with the right therapist and the right therapy modality. And I do think at this point, it's time to get him evaluated because he could be high functioning on the spectrum. There's something that is causing this child to be so dysregulated so much of the time. Well, the nurse practitioner who was listening to this conversation weighed in and she said, you know, I also think it would be interesting to think about, and I'm not sure if she goes, but I have, she goes, I have a, a, a theory that I just want to throw out. She's like, you know, when you have a back condition, she's like, my husband has a chronic back condition. And when he first started going to all the doctors and getting the MRIs and doing all that, it, they, you know, diagnosed him with degenerative disc issue. And I was like, mine too, my husband too, 21 years ago. She said, so, the more research we've done on it, the more we found out that like 80% of the population have the same issue. And some people never present with pain and some people present with debilitating pain. She's like, my husband was presenting with debilitating pain. She's like, so if you go to a back surgeon, then that's what they're trained in. They're trained in going in surgically to fix the condition. She's like, and if you go and talk to the chiropractors, the physical therapists, or you read anything by Dr. Sarno, who people swear by in terms of relieving their back pain, who was an NYU doctor that just died a few years ago. She's like, those methods tell you avoid back surgery at all costs. And I said, yeah, one of my friends who was an anesthesiologist at a pain clinic said, okay, here's the thing. Unless you are pissing yourself, do not get back surgery. Like do everything but. And, um, and we took that very seriously and knock on wood, my husband's been able to manage his 
back issue without surgery. But she said, I wonder if it's similar. If you send your child for all these evaluations and you go to a neuropsychologist, that neuropsychologist is trained to look for these things. She's like, so I'm even wondering if sometimes like you're getting that label because you have that, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone would say that, uh, that a back surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon or, uh, a neurosurgeon was not a smart person or not doing exactly what they were trained to do. Right. They believe in that. I guess I just want people to understand. And so neuropsych evaluations can be amazing. And whenever my children have gotten diagnosed or given any labels, I didn't rely, like I would talk to my pediatrician and then I would go to these specialists. And so I do very much believe in those specialists. And I think it's just important for people to go into these situations with eyes wide open and realize that there is no blood test to check on these diagnoses or these labels. There's no, there's no blood test for anything that has to do with mental type label. You know, am I wrong on that? No, you're exactly right. And you're going to get the answers to the questions that you're asking. So when you're seeking out the advice of a specialist, they're looking to give you an answer. And so just by nature of that search, just like asking the back surgeon, do I need surgery? If that could be helpful, he he may offer you surgery. And that doesn't mean that's the absolute right answer. The more specialized that you get in your search for answers, the more likely you're going to end up meeting some criteria for a label and getting a label. And I agree that there's there's no blood test. So it depends on so many factors in that one moment, what's going on with the child, their age, their developmental stage, what's going on in the family dynamic, how everything is presenting in that one, one moment. And that's a dynamic thing. And so you could have a label that maybe in two years, if you had presented for the first time, may never have, you may not get the label at that point. So it's a, I think it's a very dynamic thing. And if you're looking for a label, you could, you, you can get, you would, you would probably end up with one. So you want to ask the right questions of the right people, including yourself and be looking where you want to find answers, where you would like to find your answers. Look there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because the other thing is all these neuropsych issues run together or have overlap. So people with ADHD are more likely to have anxiety. People with anxiety are more likely to ha- be highly sensitive. People who are highly sensitive may be more likely to have ADHD. Like there's so much overlap too that to hang your hat on one thing is, is also not the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so your example of the person in the program who had things in her past that were being triggered when her child was being controlling and acting up that, that dynamic um, is hard, is hard to look at and face and think about, which mm-hmm. I think is part of the reason why I too, as a parent, you want to find out you know, what's wrong with your kid and fix it with all the best intentions in the world. You want them to be the, the happiest, most 
competent, productive human with a future that's set up for success. And, and we think that answer lies within them, but a lot of times it lies in looking outside of them and us, the family dynamic, your personal history, your triggers, and that piece of the puzzle is so critical. It's so, I mean, it's so critical and it's, you know, I guess that's the thing is that I think doctors are put in to, especially pediatricians are quite often in this kind of compromising position because you've got the parent that comes in. The bottom line is, is they're worried about their kid. And, and so doctors want to help. And quite often it's like, they're not going, you know, they're not even trained to go down this sort of line of questioning. So what they do is they send them to the mental health professional to have their child evaluated. Like, oh, this isn't my area of expertise. So I'm going to send you these people, but you're the pediatrician. And so you're, you're the point of contact. You're who the parents trust. Like you're, you're the top of the mountain. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I mean, that's really what I hope to accomplish with the book that we're writing is I want to make it better for the parents, but also I want to make life easier on the doctor where the doctor isn't necessarily put in this impossible position and they can say, okay, I hear your concern. I get it. I'm a parent too. I have the same kinds of concerns. And before you go down that rabbit hole, right? Before we go that route, just start here. Here's a book. I think you will find some answers. I think you will read it and you will learn a few things and you will also realize that you are far from alone. And this is a resource that will help you immediately. You can listen to it, you can read it. And that's really my goal is whether somebody comes to the podcast or reads the book or does one of our free experiences like like coach week. We have these coach weeks, right? Where I do these mini, mini programs and they realize like, before I go, it's like me with the, you know, with the intermittent fasting lady, like before I, she was like talking about all these crazy supplements. I was like, okay, what's just one thing I can do? I think I'll order the hydrogen water. I could drink that. Like, I don't know about all of this. She's talking about hormones I've never even heard of. I don't know if I can do all these other things. It all sounds a little crazy. She makes these shakes. I don't know that I'm up for all that, but I can drink some, I can go on Amazon right now and order a 12 pack of hydrogen water and see if I like it and mm-hmm. see if I notice any differences in my body. I'll just start with that baby step. And, and so I guess I'd like to interrupt sort of that sequence of the way it typically goes down, which is like, slow down everyone. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's reach out to these people and see what kind of shifts and changes we can do at home first. And we're taking the taboo out of talking about parenting, talking about parenting and learning new tools and trying to understand your kid on a different level. That's That needs to just be the norm. That's just what you do when you're a healthy person and you're an informed person and you want your life to be the best and brightest possible and your kids' lives to be the best and brightest possible. Like this is just what, this is what you do. Responsible people do. Of course, you're going to be 
looking for the parenting resources that can help you and see what you can do at home. And so I, I'm just like, before we go down all of the neuropsych evaluations and spend thousands and thousands of dollars and so much time and so much energy, and then possibly get a label and everyone stops with the what's next, let's do the what's next first. Exactly. And that like, let's just interrupt the order of things. Mm-hmm. And even the earlier, the better, because many of my patients come in with two and three-year-olds with eating issues or sleeping issues or tantruming issues. And I see it. And I see the, the parenting dynamic in the room. And I see the frustrations of the parents. It all just kind of bruise for a few years until kindergarten hits. And then there's suddenly some third parties involved, like teachers and in comparison between kids. And then the parents realize, oh, something's something might really be wrong here. And then they start going down the rabbit hole of there's actually something wrong with my child and what's diagnosis is going on here and why isn't any of this working? But if we could start talking about these things early on and talking about parenting, just this, this scary term for parenting and as it relates to the concerns they have about how their kids are eating or sleeping that maybe that we could look at ourselves a little bit and how what our role is in that dynamic to be able to talk about that with a parent in a non-threatening way offer them a resource would be really liberating for pediatricians for the parents and and for the kids well, right. I mean, think about what that, who was it? It was the child psychiatrist that told you what, say what he told you about when you bring up parenting. Oh, it's, it's the hardest part of his job. I mean, parents are not generally open to that at all. And he knows when a, a patient's coming in or the parents coming in for a follow up. And the first thing they say is the medication's not working. And he knows that he knows what actually is not working is the parenting, but that it's just a a brick wall there. There's no there's no insight by the parent of what's going on uh, that what's going on could have something to do with parenting and and become so reliant on the medication or the label as the excuse for why things aren't any different. And and it's very is very difficult as a physician to broach that. And, and if he does, then they don't come back as his patient. <laughs> they go mm-hmm. find somebody else. And so to have a resource as a pediatrician and a psychiatrist, or I'm not a psychiatrist, but for psychiatrists, they would love this resource as well. Not only so we, we could learn about it, have a comfort level in discussing it and ways to approach this conversation gently with parents as early as possible. And then offer a book. I even just like having this book and I have other parenting books just sitting on my desk. So patients and parents can just see, you know, as simple as just seeing that there are ways to think about what's going on beyond the label. Um, Just being open to the idea of talking about your parenting with somebody. So as the pediatrician understanding this, bringing it up and then gently offering a resource and then hopefully that Eventually, they also follow through. And it takes, you know, in the patients who I have referred to masterminds, 
I mean, it takes a good year of at least at a minimum, even in the most open-minded person, about a year of bringing up concerns, gently introducing behavioral strategies, ideas, parenting philosophies, masterminds, resources, until they're even open to looking into it. So it's a big subject, a big taboo subject. It really is. It's such a taboo subject. And I think, I mean, part of it, I think also, it's so interesting. It's like every human is affected by parenting. Even if you choose not to have kids or you can't have kids or whatever, whatever situation you're in there, you're someone's child. Somebody had sex and had you, (laughs) right? You, everyone at some point had parents. Yeah. That brought the, and you were, you were, you were born. You were actually born. That's part of being a human. So we're all affected by it. And yet it's this taboo subject. And when you go to learn about it, it's always like so clinical or things are, it's like not in the way that it's not like real people are actually doing it. There's this disconnect where, I mean, Look, I've read a million and one parenting books over the years. And my first book, which is my only book right now, but we're in the process of the second book, but The Parent Gap, you know what people told me what they loved the most about that book was that I, every single chapter was a story about a you know a different issue that was going on. And they all said it read like like I was talking to you, like a conversation. Like whenever they talked to me, they would they say, gosh reading your words is the same as speaking to you. And so they liked that it was very conversational. And people say it to me all the time, oh, well, are you a psychologist? And I'm like, no, I'm not a psychologist. And that's what I think, like, that's my, I think that's why Mastermind has been so powerful to the people that have gone through it is I'm a real person. Like I'm a real mom and I'm a real person and I want to get to know the real you. And it's just like what we're doing with that one master, my mom, where her son is so explosive. Like I know her story. I know she had an alcoholic parent. I know she survived a lot of trauma in her childhood. Like we have to bring this real people need to understand that parenting is a universal topic and we it's and we're all allowed to talk about it and we got to talk about it in real people language and stop stop putting this this umbrella of perfectionism above it that we're all going to say things you know like I've even been saying this lately to to some of my masterminders who are going through those situations that get really explosive because I really want to walk in their shoes because that was not my, you know, like I, we, I was asking my husband, I was like, do we have amnesia? Do we have that explosiveness? And we've just now forgotten. And he's like, no, that wasn't, you know, for us, it was just an underlying kind of tension. We were just like always watching him to see if he was in a bad mood. Um, but we didn't have that level 10 explosiveness. So I've really been trying to understand what the level 10 explosiveness looks like. And I've been doing some role playing, right? Like, what would I say in that situation? How would I actually handle it? What would I do? What would it look like in real life? Because 
we want to we want to skill build and prepare for the real life moments that feel like you're under attack. You know, this is a war zone and this is super stressful. And so I just feel like there's there's so much that we're getting wrong in terms of giving people the support that is actually going to help their lives. And I just hope that the right hand starts talking to the left in terms of the medical community and real parents and professionals like me so that we can start helping people in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of the reason that I'm, I'm so passionate about this, I was just thinking about it as you were talking, I'm a pediatrician, but also an internist. So I see, um, I did an internal medicine residency and see adults and I see kids. And so when I'm seeing a kid, sometimes the parents are also my patients, but even if they aren't, I, I also see the adult as a patient. And so I naturally, when I'm assessing a kid and thinking about the mom as a patient too, and mm. such an integral part of that child's diagnoses and presentation. Um, I'm, I'm sure many pediatricians do the same, but, you know, in a pediatric residency, it's kid, it's a hundred percent kid centric. And, and I think my training has, and my experience parenting a highly sensitive child, all of that's come together for me to really look at the whole picture in such a different way than probably a more traditional pediatric setting. Well, you know what this conversation has, of course, it is longer than I originally said it was going to be because we could could keep talking about this forever. I know. That's why we're writing a book. And that's why we have to have an, we're going to start having an ongoing segment, the pediatrician's perspective, where I'm talking about these things with you and hopefully people will leave us voicemails and write in. And we'll put a link to how you can leave us a voicemail with your questions in the show notes. Like, what are the things that you really wish you could say to your pediatrician or ask your pediatrician and something stops you? This is the place to ask it. And Sarah's going to help us. I would love that. I would love if we ended up with a whole Q&A podcast. Mm, So fun. Yeah. So fun. Okay. So this is our first segment. There will be more to come. Thank you guys for listening and have a great week. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs. And if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you. Um, And as always, we're on all the social channels under mastermind parenting on Instagram. It's mastermind underscore parenting. Um, and you know, periodically I do pop up on different Instagram lives, Facebook lives, where I give you teaching and coaching. And I love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better because when they feel better, they do better. And, um, 
I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.